Hey, it's Nelly. And it's Juno. And you're listening to Two Addies and Coffee, please. Where we share unfiltered life experiences as young, badass Asian American women with ADHD. Welcome to episode 5 of Two Addies and a Coffee, Please. With the recent election, people have been anxious about the fate of our country and democracy at large, and we don't always know how to cope with this anxiety. So in this episode, we're going to talk about anxiety, which doesn't always look like what you'd expect. Everyone experiences anxiety from time to time, but for some people, it's an everyday experience. So what is anxiety disorder? According to the National Institute of Mental Health, People with generalized anxiety disorder display excessive anxiety or worry most days for at least six months about a number of things like personal health, work, social interactions, and everyday routine life circumstances. So Nelly, you actually have anxiety. Could you share a brief background about your relationship with anxiety? Yeah, so I guess um, when I was a lot younger, I never knew about this thing called anxiety. You just kind of feel what you feel and think what you think. It wasn't labeled anything. And once there aren't any labels involved, you don't necessarily see that there is something wrong or that you are one of the few that feel this way or think this way and the majority don't. So for the longest time, I just thought everyone thought like me and everyone felt the same way I felt, and that they were just dealing or coping with it in a better way, or something that was different in the terms of what they were choosing to do. And well, I grew up in New York City, and everyone is a little high strung, everyone's slightly anxious, or like, it's that stereotype of everyone's really high strung and fast paced. So I just thought, oh, it's just like the New Yorker thing. So I guess when I went to California, it was like a very stark difference. And I couldn't pinpoint what it was, except like, oh, I'm from New York, and we're just like this. But then I guess when I went back home and I realized people notice a stark difference. Oh, they're like, oh, Nelly, you're like more calm now. And I realized it's not a New York or West Coast thing. It's like a me thing. And that's kind of when I realized that maybe I am more anxious than the rest of everyone else. And I started doing a little bit more research, but I just never thought that this was something separate from my personality, that you could have an anxious personality trait or things like that. And there's this other thing called anxiety, which is a real thing. And it's not something that's just imagined in your head. And then I think later on in college, I had really bad insomnia, and I couldn't fall asleep. I had to take melatonin, I tried all the essential oils, and like put it all over my face. Basically, my pillow was just oily essential oils and smelled like lavender, and yet I couldn't get any sleep. I've read so much research into how to get sleep, insomnia and things like that. That is the physical manifestation of anxiety. And every time I do fall asleep, I have nightmares. I never really get a good night's sleep. So that's basically my relationship with anxiety. So I think these days, the word anxiety is thrown around very loosely as stress. Like before an important presentation or before like a really critical decision, people get really, really nervous and they can't sleep, like you mentioned. And because of that, I think a lot of us believe that we are familiar with what anxiety must feel like. But kind of the way, Nelly, you mentioned that you have no idea what it's like to have a mind without anxiety and that was just your reality. A lot of us without anxiety must have no idea what it is like to have anxiety. 
I think because of this, people with anxiety are hugely misunderstood. And based on our research, we actually found three key areas of stigma around anxiety based on the National Survey of Mental Health Literacy and Stigma. And those three are, one, anxiety is a sign of personal weakness. Two, people with anxiety can snap out of it if they really wanted to. And three, an anxiety condition is not a real medical condition. Hearing all of those misconceptions about anxiety and knowing that other people will perceive you in a different light or in a way that isn't necessarily representative of you, I never really wanted to share with people that I have anxiety because it becomes this thing that you have and this thing that you are and not necessarily something that is just what you experience because it's something that afflicts you. And I think the key difference here is that people will see you for this one thing that you have as anxiety and then every other misconception or perception they have of a person with anxiety kind of gets thrown onto you. These labels that are placed onto you, it doesn't really give you a chance to really let people know who you are and what you're capable of and get to know you as a human being. And I think that really feeds into that third misconception that anxiety isn't a real medical condition. And it's like this set of personality traits that people automatically assume. Being shy or having insecurities and just worrying too much. I actually remember I was on a dating app and I saw this meme that said, little thick Asian girlfriend, let me know if you have any of these qualities. It's offensive for several reasons, but it said shy, kinky, submissive, something, something. And then it said has anxiety. Thinking about that now, I'm just like, is that cute? I guess people think that's cute. What is cute about anxiety? This perception out there is that oh, anxiety is like this little shy person who just worries too much about what they're wearing or what they got on a test or something. Is I guess that's cute to people and endearing, but it just shows that there's this huge disconnect of what anxiety actually is. And I think that the media and like social media perpetuate this idea, not for just anxiety, but mental illnesses in general, where people with mental illnesses are like this like damsel in distress that they need to save. And it's something that love or this close friend can help someone with and it would go away. I think that's crazy how in the meme, one of the characteristics is that has anxiety is seen as like a interesting trait to have and not necessarily as something that's negative or like an actual illness. So not only does it invalidate this actual condition, but it kind of romanticizes it in a way that fetishizes people with mental illness. Imagine just like the scenario of someone's like, oh, I want to date a person who's tall, et cetera, et cetera. And then they add in another factor. It's like, oh, has cancer. Like, who does that? You know, so if you wouldn't do that to a physical illness, why would you do that for a real medical condition that is invisible, but it's still real nonetheless? I think it's really difficult for people to comprehend and process that this is a really serious thing. And I also did this the first time I met someone like a close friend who had anxiety. I didn't know it was caused by anxiety, but I was just like really taken aback by how much someone can suffer from like this disease in their mind that they have so little control of. And I think I didn't realize until I talked to Nellie actually this year and I found out she had anxiety and she talked about some of these things. I was like, whoa, that's from anxiety. And I saw these parallels and stuff. And I was just like, oh my God, I was automatically assuming that all of this suffering and difficult things my friend was going through was attributed to something else because it must not be anxiety because it's really terrible. But I realized anxiety is really terrible. and I just had no idea. Objectively speaking, I can understand that having anxiety is terrible and this really negative thing to have. But also, I don't know what it's like to live without anxiety. So I don't know any other way to live. So for me, I've become kind of like, this is just my life. And I'm speaking about these things I experience. But to me, it's just life, you know? 
I really don't know how it feels like to be someone who is always, you know, kind of at peace and content and doesn't get really shaken up about things. Yeah, I just don't know how that feels like. Unless I'm super high, then that just slows down my brain and like I'm at peace. And then that got me thinking like, do people <laughs> feel like this all the time? And that's crazy because I'm like, yeah, I'll choose that, you know? That's like the major difference. It's like when you are on a bunch of different substances, you get to jump into these different realities or different modes of feeling. And then it kind of changes or alters obviously your behavior. But some people feel not anxious all the time. I'm trying to think about what the difference is for me because when I'm high, I also feel a little bit relaxed. Maybe it's because I smoked weed too much, but it's not too much of a difference for me. I think I just get more sleepy and I'm more in a daze a little bit. But I don't know, kind of the way it's like a shock for you to see how it's like to be calm. I think I only experienced anxiety very few times. And it was around when I started getting panic attacks for certain situations. And I was like, oh, shit, what is this reality? I was like, I need to get out now. I see why people are depressed and anxious. They like choose not to exist. Maybe that's not a good thing to say, but it just felt surreal. So could you try describing for people who don't really understand what it feels to have anxiety? Yeah, I was actually reading this book by Matt Haig, and it's called Reasons to Stay Alive. And he speaks about his experience with depression and anxiety. And I like to share some of the quotes he has written. But with depression and anxiety, the pain isn't something you think about because it is thought. You are not your back, but you are your thoughts. If your back hurts, it might hurt more by sitting down. If your mind hurts, it hurts by thinking. And you feel there is no real easy equivalent of standing back up, though often this feeling itself is a lie. Anxiety is an illness that wraps us up in our own nightmares. The weirdest thing about a mind is that you can have the most intense things going on in there and no one else can see them. The world shrugs, your pupils dilate, you may sound incoherent, your skin might shine with sweat. So those are some of the quotes from his book. And I think he does a great job in describing anxiety and depression into words that can have other people relate to. And I think when I was reading this book, I never really thought about how I can extract the anxiety and depression out of myself and then see myself outside of those two things. Because to me, it's just so intertwined that it affects every aspect of your thinking, your feeling, your actions, your mind, like literally everything. So in describing it this way, he makes it so that you are not your anxiety or your depression, but it just comes and goes. And this is not who you are. And that's like a very clear distinction that he makes in this book. And when he talks about it in this way, I think it allows people who don't have anxiety or depression to really sympathize and empathize with people who do have it. Because even though it is invisible and mostly lives and exists in the minds of those afflicted with it, describing it in this way draws the analogies out and makes it a little bit more clear. And I think it's really worrying that these kind of issues that are so serious and causes so much suffering is so kept quiet because people have found that you can't really share it with people because of the stigma that you mentioned. Hearing from you and my close friend and your experience with anxiety really made me realize how much of this is like symptoms of a disease, basically. I think for everyone who is misunderstood that they think anxiety is just your thoughts and that it doesn't really affect you physically, I would say I highly disagree with that because not only does anxiety give me insomnia and I don't sleep, well, not sleeping obviously gives you a bunch of other physical health issues, 
but having anxiety weakens your immune system. It makes your asthma symptoms worse. So I have mild asthma and it does give me shortness of breath and you physically sometimes can't breathe. I had migraines almost every week in high school because I was so anxious and so stressed that the only thing I could do was to sleep. But sometimes you can't sleep. So you just lie in agony and think about these things over and over again. So there's kind of no relief because you can't sleep it off. The only thing you can do is take medication for it. And at a certain point, you're just popping pills every day because your brain just hurts so much. And I guess another thing with anxiety for me is that my resting heart rate is always super high. I never knew that this was a problem. I was just like, okay, whatever. Like my heart rate is high. But in one instance, I was interning this summer and we were testing out this technology that can measure a heart rate. And they invested a lot of money for this technology and I was playing around with it and we're just testing it out. So as being the first test subject, they measured it and it was extremely high in like the high 90s or low 100s. And they tested this multiple times. And the conclusion was, oh my God, this technology that we bought for a lot of money is broken. So there was like this huge commotion of like, oh my God, did we waste thousands of dollars for this? And then they actually tested it on other people and it worked just fine. So like the technology was not broken. <laughs> Basically, like my heart rate was just so high as like a resting heart rate that people didn't believe that this was possible. And I'm like relatively young. I'm like, I don't know, not like super unhealthy. So I think this is really concerning because like, don't want to die young, but you know, could be a real thing. Hearing you say all of that makes me realize how stupid it is when people tell you like, oh, just calm down or like, oh, don't worry so much because it's such a physical, real thing. And I think a lot of people listening who don't have anxiety won't admit this, but I believe think that they're above anxiety. And I don't think I thought that consciously, but I think in the past, I definitely thought that like, I'm way too intelligent and look at things with logic and reason. And I work through my problems. So I wouldn't waste my time getting anxious. And I believe that misconception that anxiety is a choice is really dangerous. And I was talking the other day with a close friend and Nelly, and we were having a discussion about worrying and anxiety. And I'm on the opposite extreme because of some emotional detachment issues. But that friend was saying like, oh, Juno, I just think you're very solution oriented. And that surprised me a lot about what disconnect exists, because I know Nelly is like super solution oriented, like we'll get shit done and super efficient. And the fact that she automatically assumed that Nelly was not solution oriented and was surprised when I said so. Implicit bias. Yeah. And a lot of people think that. For me, it's really frustrating hearing all of these purported misconceptions and the things that people assume about you just because they know you have this one thing. It's kind of like if someone said, I have black hair, then they'll assume like, oh, you're tall or like X, Y, Z. Like, that's crazy to me how we know that that is assuming so many things about a person where they just told you one thing about them. But if you tell someone that you have anxiety, they don't give you the fact that like, oh, you just have anxiety and that's it. But they will assume xyz and everything about you without even knowing who you are and it's just this one-dimensional monolithic view of what anxiety looks like and i want to emphasize that not everyone experiences anxiety the same way and it looks different in every single person because it is an individualized experience there are so many things at play like we all will have similar symptoms but the way that we react might be different. The way I cope with it might be different from like your friend who has anxiety. It's all subjective to some extent and how you deal with that anxiety. So some people might know, exercise and some people might just sit there and not exercise, you know? So just because your one friend does something, you can't be like, oh, do that too. And that'll like help. 
it's just different for every single person. And I think for me, when I describe anxiety to people or how I feel, I don't necessarily use the term anxiety because I think that just confuses people for some reason. Educate yourself a little bit more. <laughs> for me, it feels a little bit like someone is sitting on you and it's hard to breathe. Like it's physically really hard to breathe. I start sweating. Um, my heart beats really fast, kind of like when you drink a lot of coffee. And then sometimes you also feel really nauseous. And I think most of this was in response to my ADHD because I think with ADHD, I would always wait to the last minute to do things. But then the anxiety kicks in and makes me a little bit more efficient. And having those two interplay kind of at odds with each other, it just increased my anxiety even more because I want to get it done earlier, but I can't. And so my anxiety like increases as I approach the deadline, but I still cannot begin to do anything. So it's kind of like you're trapped in your own body and mind in which you want to do something, yet your body doesn't let you do it. And then your mind just goes a little berserk and you're like intensely stressed out, but you can't do anything about it. So you just got to sit there. <laughs> until it's time to start working, which is like three hours before the deadline. I think how you described earlier how you can develop ways to cope with it implies that it's not something that just goes away. And I think that's what a lot of people think. Like if you have anxiety, you can calm down, you can do things and then it'll go away. But the thing about anxiety disorder is that it doesn't go away. You can only cope with it. And I think the first time that I experienced a panic attack, I was super shocked by how biological and physical it was. In my head, I wasn't worrying about anything. My mind was blank. But I just knew suddenly my heart wouldn't slow down and I was crying uncontrollably for four hours. And I think a lot of people would imagine like, holy shit, she's just freaking the fuck out. But I was sitting down, taking deep breaths. I was trying to read a book. I was trying to listen to music. And my heart was just beating really, really fast. And I kept getting really cold and nauseous. And I just felt horrible. And there was nothing I can do to make it go away other than sleep. And then I woke up an hour later and I felt in a lot of pain. And it felt like my heart was hurting almost. But I remember it being so painful that when I was reading this little book of Buddhist practices do every day, and it was like these visualizations do to help you calm down and stuff. And there was one that said to breathe in the suffering of all people and then breathe out compassion. And I remember just being so, because <laughs> I'm not normally like, I don't know, I was just so shaken. And I was just like, I will not absorb the suffering. I do not wish this suffering upon anyone. I have not felt that pain before. It's like I can only compare it to this other time when I almost went to the ER. And I was like, I do not wish torture upon anyone. Like no human deserves this suffering. I think it really pisses me off when people are like, oh, anxiety, that's a choice. And that just, you know, grinds my gear because why would anyone voluntarily choose to feel anxiety? Like, just ask yourself with all of these negative thoughts and all of these negative physical attributes, why would someone willingly choose to do this? And I feel like because of this misconception, I think in some ways, I'm like, am I choosing to think this? Like, maybe I choose not to think this. But then it places the fall on the person who is experiencing everything. And I feel like the key thing I want to call out is, it's not your fault. It's not. So don't feel like it's your fault for the way that you feel. Because it's something that can happen to anyone. One thing that's interesting to point out is panic attacks, which often happens with anxiety. The majority of the 13 symptoms are physiological, like physical. Only three of them are psychological. Fear of unreality, fear of losing control, and fear of dying. Okay, I experienced all three. <laughs> <laughs> so what is that like? Because that's so bizarre to me. Like, what is it like to have this fear of unreality and losing control and dying? I guess like for losing control, I think for someone with anxiety, I really want things to be under my control because then 
I can kind of have more an accurate grasp of what the outcome is. But when you lose that control and you don't know what's going on, it makes you more anxious because there is just so much uncertainty that lies with the outcome and the consequences of what's going to happen. Even being alive, there's just so many unknowns that you don't know what's going to happen in your life. I cannot guarantee that my life is going to turn out well. I can't guarantee that I'm not going to die young. I can't guarantee that I will even live long and happy because you could live long and sad or you could live short and happy. So these are the things I think about. It kind of combines with like my fear of dying. I guess I have less of a fear of dying, more so the fear of not ever living. But in particular to like losing control, I want things to be in a way that I can kind of project the outcome or like what are the factors if I can increase this or decrease this or like affect this factor in some way then maybe it'll change the outcome but then there are some things that are just out of your control I think a lot of things are out of our control and me learning about that and accepting it helped me kind of decrease some of that fear and just like okay whatever like Jesus take the wheel I don't care um but I think when I was a lot younger It was hard because no one gave you this kind of book on how to cope with anything. It was kind of like you just went out and lived your life without any like guidebook or a rule book of any kind. So for me, growing up, everyone's like, okay, do well in school. Then that guarantees you to go into like this school or that school or whatever. So things I can control in high school, right, was getting good grades and doing extracurriculars and things like that. And I wanted to control all of this because I equated that with getting into a good college. And I equated getting into a good college with getting a good job and equated getting a good job with being successful and being happy, right? And you connect all of these things until you connect it to like, if I don't do any of that, then I will be homeless or like unhappy and like whatever. It's kind of like your mind is on survival mode. And the only thing I could think about is, oh my God, I'm just going to like be homeless, not have food, not have shelter, not have any of these things. Fuck all of the fucking existential thing, like reaching nirvana, whatever. I'm just like, I'm not going to have food to eat. I'm not going to have a home to go to. So that was like a real reality. That was the worst case scenario. And the best case scenario was like following the traditional rat race. So in my mind, if I did poorly on a test in school, and I mean poorly as in not get an A, that equated to me failing the class equal to that not graduating college or like high school and not getting to a good college, which means I don't get a good job, which means I will not have the financial means to not be homeless and have shelter and food. It's just like your mind is always on survival mode. So every tiny little decision that I was thinking equated to, am I going to live or die? Oh, okay. So like the small decision is going to like basically make me homeless and die. That's definitely not a healthy way to think. And I can obviously pinpoint that to anxiety and like you blow out the proportion of those punishments so far out that it's not realistic. But at a such young age, that's just how I thought. I couldn't really break myself out of that mentality. And that is also what combined with me trying to achieve a lot. So no one really saw that as something negative because they're like, oh, you're getting good grades. You're doing X, Y, Z. Like all of my behaviors or actions were like, oh, you're just ambitious. And the thoughts that I were thinking and feeling, it was kind of like irrelevant, so to say, because no one actually knew that I was thinking this at all. And I also just kept it to myself. So like no one knew I had anxiety in high school. So that was my biggest fear of losing control. But then growing up and kind of labeling that as anxiety. So then you're like, okay, those are anxious thoughts. Now let's deconstruct that. 
always doing that with every single thought I have and deconstructing everything to say whether that is high probability or low probability, like realistic or not realistic. That has made me such a logical thinker that I think really logically now and rationally. So I try not to spiral and just get lost in my thoughts. But with my fear of dying, I think about dying all the time. And sometimes I'm not fearful of it. It's just like I think about death because, well, you don't know when you're going to die. It's like, okay, like who has control over like anything, right? So it's like I could die tomorrow. I could die in 90 years or I could die like X, Y, Z. Like you don't really know, but it makes you take ownership of your life a little bit more. And it gives you agency to act now instead of later. But sometimes the fear of death is just knocking on your door and that's all you can think about. So then when I go to school or like when I go to work, I can't just be like, how's your day? And people do like these small talks and I'm like, all I can think about is dying. And you can't just bring that up in like small talk conversation. Like, how's the weather? Fine, fantastic. Hope I don't get struck by lightning and die. You know, it's just like things that you don't say out loud. So then I'm just like, you know, I'm fine. But because I think about how I'm going to die, every situation's like, oh, the elevator can just like bloop and you're done. Or I could be on a plane and I'm like, oh, it can just crash at any moment. There was a statistic that most plane crashes occur. It was either five or seven minutes during takeoff and landing. So like I look at my clock and I'm like, okay, are we past, you know, the 10 minute mark? So it's kind of safe. And then I'll relax a little bit. I seek sanity in statistics and numbers and data to kind of prove to myself and bring evidence to these thoughts like, hey, you might be feeling these things. I might be thinking these things, but it's not going to happen. And then have trust in that evidence to back it up and kind of show yourself like, hey, you like acknowledge that you are feeling these things and you are thinking these things and it's okay to feel this way and kind of accept it and feel it, but know logically that this isn't going to happen. And I think that is really good to kind of understand and rationalize. I would say you and my friend that has anxiety are the most logical, well-researched people I know. I don't know if I mentioned this already, but I didn't know that Nellie had anxiety, like actually understood what she went through with anxiety until a few days ago, I think. And I was so shook because I knew Nellie for nine years and I saw you as super logical, super, like you could reason through everything. So I almost trusted you too much that I can't imagine you having irrational fears or irrational thoughts. So it's very difficult for me to comprehend that like you can be very rational, logical and like reason through things properly, but still have those irrational fears and then have to like justify everything and evaluate everything objectively. I basically <laughs> ignore all of my feelings now. Like, oh, I like ignore everything, ignore every thought, every feeling, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's not real. It's not real. And then I write things down. I like draw charts and whatever. But because I've been doing it so often, that's just internalized in my head. So it's just using logic numbers if this then what if that then what and then you just kind of like map out all of the possibilities or outcomes that can happen and then you attribute probabilities to each outcome and then you have to be mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive so then you have all of the choices and outcomes that could potentially ever happen and obviously that's exhausting but it helps me ground myself a little bit more because you hide that you have anxiety and people don't know what you're struggling with, they only see the outcome and see like how informed you are and how wise, I guess. I think people told you that a lot, right? Like you're very wise because you thought through every possible permutation of things that could happen in life and like weigh the <laughs> pros and cons. <laughs> yes, I think I do weigh a lot of the pros and cons and like make a lot of lists and draw a lot of charts. And I try to like back up everything that I 
think with some sort of evidence or like rational thought. So I know that, okay, this, then this, then this, and like trying to map it out. And I think also with a combination with ADHD, my thoughts are everywhere. Like I can make connections with a lot of things that other people might not necessarily find easy to connect. But then when I write all of this down, it's a lot easier for me to explain my thoughts to other people as well. And it also gives people an understanding of these rational steps that I have taken to come up with my conclusion. It's not like I'm just pulling this out of my ass. So I think another misconception that's really prevalent right now is that people with anxiety are generally weak. And it's kind of similar to what my view was of my depressed friend and my depressed brother was that they couldn't pick themselves up. So they just must be weak. And when I pictured someone with anxiety before, what came to mind was someone who was low self-esteem, had some insecurities maybe, and a little bit immature because they must be immature to have all of these irrational worries. And generally imagine someone without that much confidence or a strong personality. Rather, they would be very dependent on other people and would need someone to pick up after them. And I wouldn't imagine this person to be very self-sufficient or very successful. Like I would imagine them to still get through life. But if I imagine someone with like nervous breakdowns and very high strung and crying, I wouldn't expect them to be taking very efficient steps to fix their problems and getting ahead in life, like a high achiever. I think my existence just counteracts everything. (laughs) And that was the misconception. So, and I don't speak for everyone who has anxiety. It's just like my experience personally, I would say I do have very high self-esteem. I'm very confident and my personality is very strong. I think at one point I had to take a narcissism quiz, you know, like one of those stupid shit on the internet. And I'm like, I am not a narcissist. woohoo! (laughs) But, you know, like there are traits that I have. And it's just that I am very confident in my ability. I don't see anything that I experience as something that holds me back. Um, I know that I am very capable. And I guess I was like a little bit insecure of other people knowing that I had anxiety or things like that. But then after like a minute, I'm like... I don't really care because that's a you problem. That's you being uneducated, ignorant, and small-minded. And that's not a me problem because I know that I can achieve a lot. And if you make those assumptions about me, that just goes to show how misinformed you are. Even though I feel these feelings of, let's say, like my heart rate going really fast and sweating and experiencing all of the physical feelings of anxiety and sometimes having all of these anxious thoughts, I still force myself to do things that I am not necessarily the most comfortable with, but I know will benefit me long term in terms of like the experiences that I will have, how it will grow me personally, and the lessons that I will learn. So going on to that, the misconception that people with anxiety are very dependent on others, I think I am a very independent person and I hate that perception that we are very dependent. So I never really told people like, oh, what I was feeling or what I was doing or things like that. So I kind of went above and over in terms of compensating in terms of like, oh, I'm like super independent. Like, don't talk to me. Like, I can do my own thing. But then at a certain point, like, that's just really not necessary. But going on with the independence and pushing myself to go out of my comfort zone, I wanted to be financially independent and worked full time in college so I could support myself. And I think that was both fulfilling, but also stressful. And it just goes to show that anxiety or having these things that you're experiencing is not mutually exclusive from reaching success, that you can do both. And people should assume certain things about what you're capable of achieving because you have something that they don't understand. And I think working full time and going to college full time 
also being like super stressed out, it really taught me a lot about what I could do. And I think I hate, I guess, like traveling alone. But I forced myself to do something uncomfortable that I didn't like. So I traveled for like a week alone. And during that time, I missed my flight. Super stressful. I had nowhere to live. Also stressful. Um, I got pickpocketed. Caught the motherfucker who took my wallet. Also stressful. <laughs> but like all of those experiences just proved to myself that if given a difficult situation, despite what I might be feeling, I can get myself out of it, solve the problems that I am dealing with, and get myself home in one piece. I can describe this as like, I can get everything done, but I'll just be crying the whole way through. And sometimes crying internally, externally, whatever, I'm just a mess. But I am still being like a functioning human being. And feeling those feelings is not mutually exclusive with going along with your day. You can still feel things and do things at the same time. And that's what I want to emphasize. Could you explain what that kind of looks like while you're going through anxiety and still going about your day? Let's say like I have a really anxious moment because something happened and then you like end up thinking this one thing and then this other thing and it just kind of keeps going. So every time, let's say like I do poorly on an exam or something, then I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to fail this class. Then I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to get a job. But then there's nothing that I can do now to guarantee myself a job. Except getting a job now. So I guess it's just like, okay, what action item can I do now to increase the probability in which I will not be unemployed in the future and will more likely have a job? And like the actionable items that I can do now is to get super great grades or like work internships or do things like that. So every time I get super anxious and I kind of go into like my spiral process of thoughts, I kind of make sure like, okay, well, let's not waste this freaking momentum and like put into good use. So I go on LinkedIn and I start applying to jobs. And that kind of helps calm me down because at least I know that I am taking steps into increasing that probability in which I will have a job and not be unemployed and dissatisfied with life, even though there is no guarantee. But it's just like things that you can do to like calm yourself down. With every stage in your life, you will have another thing to worry about. And now that I understand, like, nothing in life is guaranteed. No one owes you anything. No one deserves anything. There is nothing in life that is yours, that, so to say, that you feel entitled to. And I think for me, that is really freeing because it's like, it's fine. Or like knowing that it's going to be okay. So what if you're unemployed? for like this amount of time okay granted that you have a shelter and food and your basic survival needs are met besides that it's okay it will be okay and you will find a job shitty things in life can happen but there is no point in worrying about things that are in the future and i know that's like really hard to do so for me i'll try to like draw it back to an action item that i can do now and if there are no action items that i can do now then i will tell myself there is nothing that you can do now to affect something in the future. So like, stop it. Time is limited. <laughs> just stop, stop. And it's hard, but it's just like, I find ways to distract myself or like I write and I think I record a lot of my thoughts so I can read it back when I am less anxious or more in a state in which I can do a little bit more reflecting. So I think just being super introspective and reflecting a lot has helped me 
be a little less anxious. And sometimes it's hard. It just like happens. And like, I'm anxious for no reason. I just sit in my seat and be anxious. So I have recorded down things that helps me be a little bit more at peace, like listening to music, walking, going to the park, making coffee, doing things that are kind of repetitive and calms me down. And those are the things that help keep me grounded. Do you have any advice for people without anxiety who want to support people with anxiety, whether it's a friend or a family member? Oh, make me laugh. I feel like I like when people like don't take life too seriously and they can just look at life and the trivialities of life and be like, haha, that's funny. Or I think that helps me change my perspective. Like it's not that big of a deal. And I think I like think about this quote a lot. Don't sweat the petty things and don't pet the sweaty things. And then I tell myself like, oh, this doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What calms me down is like, I think about this time when I was in the museum and there's this planetarium and it goes until X many years back then. There's like the Big Bang. And then you, you see like this explosion. And I'm like, oh my God, we're so insignificant. Holy shit, we're nothing. And I feel like the more small I feel, the better I feel because I'm just like, this feeling and thought lives inside me, but I am so small. So this thing that I'm feeling is so small. It's so trivial, even though it feels like the world to you. But then knowing like factually, oh, so small, like I am just like a blip on this huge entire timeline. And then thinking about like oh, time, what is reality, whatever, doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And then that like helps calm me. But some people, they think about it and they get anxious. So, you know, pick your poison. <laughs> Oh, I know how that feels. Do people say that to you? No. They no. usually go, oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I feel butterflies. And they're like, those aren't the good kind. Though. I don't want that. I want the good kind of butterflies. And I'm like, well, let me know if you want my butterflies. It's just <laughs> <laughs> This might be very privileged for me to say, but I think based on what I've witnessed over and over again with Nelly, and my friend is that you can go through intense, really shitty, horrible struggles, but you'll always get through it. And I think it makes you stronger and stronger. And it's something a lot of people should admire. If anything, people with anxiety are way more impressive and capable because you have to work so much harder to get through daily life and still accomplish so much. So not only are you just like going to work and going to school and doing all these things that you know, everyone else is doing like sitting in classes, taking notes and things like that. You're also coping with your anxious thoughts of dying at any moment. So like, you know, that's like the added struggle. But everyone else is like, oh, it's a nice day. It's a nice world. It's a nice life. And you're like, oh, shit, am I going to die today or not? And then also taking notes, you know. <laughs> so with that, thank you for listening to episode five of Two Addies and a Coffee, Please.